was 19 when I felt like God was calling me to be a pastor. Uh, and I, I was so excited and so nervous and so confused. I mean, uh, I was just sitting in a service like you guys are right now, uh, listening to the guy preaching. I have no idea what he was talking about. I, can't, I don't remember at all. But what I do remember is sitting there and with all the humility and wisdom of a 19-year-old, I thought to myself, I think I could do that. Um, and so I had no idea what the next step was. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. Like, how do you become a pastor? When I heard about seminary, all I had was this picture of guys in robes in some monastery, like secluded on the mountains, praying all day and, and or, you know, something like even like Mother Teresa. So how do you become a pastor? Well, I just decided to volunteer in the church that I was going to uh, and start figuring that out. Uh, and so I started volunteering in the junior high ministry there and I was serving. And then as I was serving, doors started to open. And as those doors opened, I just decided to go through them. And I just decided to say whatever God had for me, whatever direction he would lead me, I just wanted to follow. And so doors kept opening. And so I would just try to run through them. And so I was serving in junior high ministry. Uh, and then I was continuing to, to get opportunities in that ministry. Eventually I could teach and I would disciple and I'd help plan events and, and get more experience. And I started sharing with like the youth pastor and other people that I felt like God was calling me to this uh, as, as like a life, as, as something he wanted me to do, as to be a pastor. And so uh, I was doing that and I was serving and I was getting other opportunities in the church to serve in other areas, like with missions and going on trips and leading trips and, and then eventually like coordinating with missionaries and serving on that team. And, and as I was doing that, God just kept opening these doors. And so I would just run through them. And then uh, as I got more opportunities, we started a college group, uh, the couple that actually started it is here today even. And, and they started it and then we moved it to my house. And, and so I started leading that with some others and I got opportunities to do that. And God just kept affirming like, this is what he wants you to do, or this is what I want you to do. And, he, and, and and I just felt like this is what I wanted my life to be about. And so everything was going great. And then I got a, an offer to do a, a, an internship at that church. And so I started serving in this high school ministry. And I, and I was leading the high school ministry and helping the youth pastor. And, and all of these doors just kept opening wide. And I would just run through as fast as I can saying, yes, that's exactly what I want, God. And then eventually I got a, uh, I don't know, an email or a call or whatever it was. But I met with the senior pastor and he told me, hey, we're going to hire a high school pastor. And it's not going to be you. And the door shut in my face. And I was devastated. I mean, I had done everything I could basically to get into that position. I, had, I was studying at ASU. I, I got a degree in finance. If you guys don't know that, like that has nothing to do with like what I'm about to do right now. Uh, but like, that's the only thing I didn't change about my life. I, I sacrificed everything. When my friends and classmates were getting internships, I was serving at the church. When people were going out uh, to parties and going to the bars, like I was serving at church. When, when I was doing anything in my life, it was all surrounded by, I want to be a pastor. And then God slammed that door in my face. I mean, this was years of sacrifice and serving and fruit. And God said, No. And I was devastated. At the time, I was journaling a lot. And so I, I just remember writing pages of pages of like the same thing day after day for months, trying to figure out like, God, why would, why would you do this to me? This isn't the plan. This isn't, this isn't the direction. This isn't what, what I thought we were doing here. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, maybe, maybe you don't want to be a pastor. I don't recommend it to most of you. Um, I love it, but it just, yeah. Um, 
But have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like that you're so confident, like this is what God has for you, this is what he's doing in your life, this is the direction, the plan, the mission, the purpose, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, this is what it's all about, and then that door slams in your face. Something changes. I mean, maybe, maybe you did all the right things, right? You, you, you went to Bible college and you got that ring by spring and you got married and, and you found the, the perfect person, you married them, you, you moved in together and you're pregnant and then you lose the child. Or maybe the pregnancy never came and you're still wrestling with God, why, why does everyone else around me get to have these babies, these toddlers, these kids growing up now and all I have to do is scroll through Instagram to be reminded that I don't have that. Maybe it's at work. You've worked hard year after year after year and it just seems like they never recognize the things that you're doing. They never recognize the effort that you're putting into or the skill or, or just the quality of your work, just acknowledging the presence that you have in the office. You feel like this is what God called you to do, to, to, to be in this career, to go on this path, to, to serve in this way, and then it just seems to be fruitless, exhausting, frustrating. Maybe it's, maybe it's growing up in church and hearing about how amazing it is to follow God, how, how impactful it is on your life, how, how wonderful it is to have a God who serves and loves and saves, and yet still day in and day out, you're frustrated, you're facing doubt, you're facing just faithlessness. Can we really trust this God? Is he really a God who keeps his promises? Is he really a God who will do what he says he's going to do? Right, that's at the core of this story. In Genesis 18, we're going to be introduced to a couple, Abraham and Sarah. But really, uh, Genesis is this book of beginnings. It's this book that, that God uses to, to lay the foundation for what is going on in our world. And so the first 11 chapters, we have Adam and Eve and Noah and, and others who God teaches us about and, and through them shows us what's going on in our world. Right, why is this world that we so long to be beautiful and, and creative and amazing and wonderful, and, and why is it so chaotic and stressful and hurtful and broken? But in Genesis 12, God, God takes this picture of this world that's been broken and devastated and ravaged by sin, and he zooms into this couple, Abraham and Sarah. Really, in, in chapter 12, it's Abram and Sarai because God changes their names later when he makes a covenant with them. But that's the couple that we are reading about in 18. And so I'm gonna read this passage starting in verse one. Follow along if you have a Bible with you or it'll be on the screen. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I, was, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant." So they said, do as you have said. 
And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make, clay, make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. You know when they double it up, they really mean it. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So let me tell you a little bit more about Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 12, Abraham gets a message from God, this unction, this sense, this, this verbal word. I don't know exactly, but, but the Lord tells him he needs to leave his home and to go into this new land. And as he goes into this new land, he brings with him his wife, Sarai, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot. And then over the next 10 chapters or so, God works through this family to give Abraham this covenant, this promise. And he makes a promise to Abraham that when you go into this new land, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. In fact, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And when this happens, uh, you are going to go into this land and, and you are going to be a blessing to the world. This is the covenant. This is the thing that Abraham is clinging to. He's holding to. He's saying, look, we're going to go here. We're going to leave everything. We're going to leave our, our home and we're going to go into this new land. And we're going to take with us just, just basically our possessions. Because at this time, they have no kids. They have no heirs. What they have is they have people, their servants. They have a nephew whom he brings with him probably because of that. Because he has no other kids to bring with him. And they go into this new land and they wait they wait for God to fulfill what he had called them to do. And they wait and they wait and they wait. So Abr Abram and Sarah are about 75 years old when this starts, right? Probably by that point, they were already thinking, you know, the kids just aren't really in the carts, right? They're not expecting to have kids at 75 years old, except God calls him to do this thing. And so he tries to be faithful to what God is calling him to do. And so they go. And now years later, Still no kids. Sarah is still barren. She still hasn't become pregnant. And they've gone through a lot. I encourage you to go home and read it later. I mean, they've gone through a lot. And, and Abraham makes a lot of mistakes, which George can tell you about in a few weeks. And then these visitors come. In this, in this passage we just read, 
And Abram is, is sitting just at the foot of his tent. It's the hot heat of the day, right? It's like going outside right now. He's just sitting there trying to, trying to stay cool. And these visitors come in, and, and the Bible is clear. These visitors are like this manifestation of God. They've come to declare a message directly from the Lord. And, and whether or not Abraham was really clear about that, like who was with him, he was very intentional about his hospitality. Right, Jeff talked about that last week, that, that in this culture and, and, and throughout the East, and even to this day, hospitality is essential, right? The way that you welcome visitors, the way that you care for them. He, he talks about like getting them a little bit of water and maybe some like bread, and then he, de- he just prepares this feast, right? He has, he has uh, Sarah making all of these cakes, and he goes and he kills a calf, and, and he brings water to pour on their feet and to wash it. Like, this is the way to welcome guests. And he's excited. And, and what they do is they said, where is your wife? Where is Sarah? And they ask because she's not present and she's, she's hiding in the tent. We don't really know exactly why she's in the tent. Maybe it's the heat. Maybe she's, she's still preparing more cakes or something. Maybe, maybe she just doesn't want to be around these visitors for one reason or another. But then they ask the question, where is she? Because we're going to come back in a year and she's going to have a son. This should be good news, right? This should be exactly, exactly what they want to hear. She doesn't get excited. She, she laughs, right? And maybe this is a jovial laugh, right? The idea that like, (laughs) do you realize how old I am? I'm not going to have a son next year. Maybe this is the, the bitter laugh of a woman who's mourning the son that never came. See, the reality is, is as they, as they go through this, this picture of God coming to them to deliver the message that I haven't forgotten you, I'm still going to do the things I promised to do. In fact, I'm going to do that in the next year. Sarah's response is, yeah, right. See, in those chapters that we didn't get to cover today, they've done a lot. See, this is nothing new. It, Abraham had brought her out of her homeland and into, into this new land to follow God's plan. But God seems to have forgotten them, right? Long-weighted promises that just don't seem to be fulfilled. What's taking God so long? Doesn't he realize I'm like 99 years old? The reality is that God's timing is rarely our timing, isn't it? I mean, we always feel like we need to grow in our patience because when God is going to do something, he's not doing it quick enough. And when he does it quick enough, we don't really notice that because it's just like, yeah, that's exactly how long it should have taken to get that done. And so they've been waiting year after year and now into decades, waiting for this to happen. And it hasn't. In fact, they took matters into their own hands once. Sarah had a servant named Hagar that she brought to, to Abraham and said, you know, maybe this is how God's going to give you an heir. And so you take, take my servant for another wife and, and have a son through her. This wasn't that uncommon in, in the culture then. And so uh, whether or not that's what God wanted, we'll have to see at the end of the story. But, but what that means is that now... Abraham has these two wives, and through her, there is a son born. But this doesn't work out for Sarah. In fact, when, when that happens, Hagar starts to feel a little bit more prideful, and, and Sarah becomes bitter. 
brokenhearted over the, the way that now Hagar is treating her, bro- probably brokenhearted over the realization that God hasn't done the thing that he had said he was going to do through her, but maybe even through this servant. And then now these messengers come to, to give him confidence that, to give Abraham confidence that God is still going to fulfill his promises. And Sarah says, we'll see. I don't think so. Have you ever felt that way? You're taking matters into your own hands because you're sure this is what God wants and it falls apart. Things just get worse. Right? It's human nature. It's human nature for us to want to take control. To, even if we are very confident in the things that God promises and, and we want to follow him, we want to pursue his will, it's human nature for us to just try to grasp so tightly to do it in our time, in our way, and through our methods, the thing that we think is right, rather than trusting in, in his timing, in his way, through his methods, and letting him do it. I mean, I struggle with this. Kids, I said I had a story for you. This is my story for you. Um, I have a little confession to make. I love doing a lot of like adventurous things. Like I love jet skis and cliff diving and, and uh, hiking and doing like, I grew up like riding four wheelers, like all kinds of stuff like that. And just like, whatever it is, super fun, love it. Uh, I am a super big chicken when it comes to roller coasters. Is anybody afraid of, scared? Is anybody afraid of roller coasters? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm a huge chicken when it comes to roller coasters. So here's the deal. I married a woman who loves roller coasters. And so I remember like uh, a few years ago, we went to Disneyland and she was emphatic that like we had to ride this roller coaster. And so we, we were there for a couple of days. We were walking around and we rode all kinds of different things. And we got the churros because when you go to Disneyland, you have to have a churro. And as we were there, she kept pointing to this thing, this little like roller coaster in the back corner. Uh, little, it's, it's the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and said that that's what we have to do. And I couldn't do it. Right? Like I couldn't get on the roller coaster and I realized there's a few things. One, um, I don't know, like I don't like being told to do stuff that I don't really want to do. So the more you tell me, the more I don't want to do it. Two, I realized like four wheelers, jet skis, whatever else, like as long as I'm in control, I'm ready to go. As soon as I have to just like be strapped in and hold on and just like, let's see what happens. It's not for me. Those engineers, I took like three semesters of engineering classes. I don't know if I trust what they, let me check out the bolts. Let me see, let me see some metrics. But my wife really wanted to go on the roller coaster. So you know what you do, kids, when you get married and your spouse wants to, <laughs> she figured out a way to get me in line. And this line, I just have to tell you, this line was simultaneously the longest line I've ever seen and went the fastest any other line had gone that whole trip. Right, so I'm pacing back and forth in this line, trying to figure out like, oh, you know what? Maybe if I just like, if I close my eyes and then I just, there's an exit right there. I can just slip out right there and she'll never notice. And then I just go to Mexico, I don't know. Um, start a new life. Um, but, but finally we get to this front uh, of this line. And so we, we get into the thing and we sit down and we like strap in cause you have to be safe, right? This is the thing I don't trust this little strap and it moves and already, all right, this isn't it. So I'm holding Lauren's leg as tight as I can. You can see her, my palm print on her thigh still, I think. Um, and, and then it like curves around and it stops and then we're sitting there 
And then this countdown starts and it goes five and my heart starts to race and then four and my heart starts to beat out of my chest and then three and then I'm sweating so much that I'm pretty sure we're swimming in the car. Two, and I'm pretty sure I wanna get out now so I try to stand, can't stand up. So we're stuck here, one, and it goes off. And as it goes off, we go up this hill, down the around this corner, up the thing, over the, down the, oh, and just through this loop and I feel my stomach in my throat and then we look around and we go and round through there, take a picture, she's got a smile and then you get to the end and stops and I'm out of breath like right now I'm out of breath give me a second and she asked me how was it and it was awful (laughs) and awesome and it was terrible and amazing. And as I thought back about what we did and the experience of it, there was these ups and these downs, there's these twists and these turns, and that's exactly what it feels like to follow God in your life. Right? If you grow up in this church, you're gonna have your parents, hopefully, but also you're gonna have people like me and Danica and Marco pouring into you and telling you that it's worth following God that you should dedicate your life to following God, that he has made promises that he loves you, that he sees you, that he knows you. But the reality is he hasn't made promise for you to be comfortable and happy and joyful all the time. He hasn't made promises that, that this life is gonna be easy with him. His promises is that he loves you, that he knows you, that he is gonna provide for you, that he will never leave you or forsake you, that he he is with you, right? That's what Jesus came to let us know. He came to let us know that he is a God worthy of our worship. He is a God that loves us, a God willing to sacrifice even himself for us because of his love for us. And he is a God worthy to be followed, but that path, it's a narrow path. And that path is a path to sacrifice. That path is a path that is difficult and challenging. And it is a path that you should walk. It's a path that you have to be patient and long-suffering in because God is. It's a path that you have to trust in his plan over your own plans, trust in his control over trying to take control yourself. It's a path that God wants us to walk in faith. And the reality is it's a path that tests that faith. That at times we, we struggle and we doubt and we feel faithless. We don't know if we could even really trust that God's gonna fulfill his promises. Paul writes that in, in 2 Timothy, he says this, he says, even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. Right? Jesus came to make promises for us that he, would, that he would be our God, that we would be his people, that in our uh, faith in him, we would find salvation, right? Salvation, and what that means is that in, in the day of judgment, God will look upon us and see sons and daughters adopted into his family. It means that when Jesus made a promise and he, he left this earth, he promised to return and he will come back. And he hasn't yet, and we have to be patient. It means that that when he has declared us sons and daughters of the most high God, we trust that God loves us as his sons and daughters. Abraham and Sarah had to learn that trust, right? Sarah was was through decades of, of waiting and wanting and longing and frustration and bitterness and pain and hurt and struggle and strife and still no son. 
And then these messengers came and said, you're going to have a son next year. And she laughed at them. But if we skip ahead just a few chapters to the end of the story in 21, it says this, starting in verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac means like he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Right, there is this, this reality that Sarah realizes God was faithful to his promises. God had made a covenant with, with Abraham that he would give him this son who would become a, a blessing to many. In fact, a blessing to the world. And he kept that promise through his wife, Sarah. And, and Sarah, through this story, realizes with, with joyous laughter that God is faithful. He is worthy to be trusted. He is worthy to be followed. Right? The reality is, is that for many of us in this room, we've grown up and we've been told to follow God. We've been told to trust him. And then something has smacked us in the mouth. Something has caused us to doubt, whether it's church leadership, whether it's people in the congregation, whether it's people outside of the church and their criticisms of us or of our faith or of you personally. There has been hardship and pain and challenge in this life. And yet God is still faithful. He hasn't forgotten his promises. He hasn't forgotten you. He is working through all of it to fulfill his purposes. And he loves you. And he knows you. And Jesus is a testament to that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would encourage us this morning, that you would guide us with your word, God, and that you would help to write this on our hearts that we can be confident that you are a God worthy to follow, that you are a God who loves us and knows us. Father, that you are a God who keeps his promises and those promises are good for us, Lord, that, that we could turn to you in repentance and you will call us sons and daughters. God, we pray that you would guide us and fill us and heal us and continue to work through us, Father, as a church and as individuals in this city, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>